Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm your radio, radio show! Hello and welcome to the Nyler Nine podcast. It's myself, Nyler Nine here, joined by Andrea Cleary. Hello. Hey. Hi. How are you? We weren't here last week. We weren't. I'm very um, sorry. Sudden, sudden. A uh, sudden illness life. struck me. I had to life lie on got my. In the way. It's yeah. So I, <laughs> I have pernicious anemia, which causes fatigue if I don't look after it. But it's such a like to me. It always feels like a very Victorian kind of thing, where it's like, oh, I just need to rest. I just need to like lie on my chaise long. So I just I have to, need like, to convalesce. Yeah, I just like I had to cancel like all my plans last week. I'm like, I, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm really sorry. I can't do anything. And it just felt very kind of like, oh, I've had a, a fright and I need to lie down a bit, <laughs> which is quite nice. But yeah, back you're this back, week, you're back feeling good, fighting so, fit. Yeah, to compensate for last week's. Um, uh miss um or uh, lack of podcast lack of podcast i can't have the words they won't come can't out of my have mouth. the words <laughs> they won't let they won't they won't come out well this um, is this is a bumper pod yeah we're gonna be talking about two albums this week mm-hmm. one that came out last week town pals the slow rush and a forthcoming album uh, out this friday from grimes called miss anthropocene which i feel like we've been talking around for quite a while now mm-hmm. um so we'll be doing that we also have um billy eilish released a bond song last week and uh so rather than discuss it ourselves i thought i'd get um the the number one bond fan in my life is simon roach who does lumo club with me he collects all of the uh bond songs on seven inch and stuff like that mm-hmm. he categorizes them knows which ones is his favorite so uh we'll have a chat to him about what makes a good bond team and what he makes of the billy Eilish team mm-hmm. um so in the meantime what else have you been up to um i have been watching the brits oh how was the brits i missed that last night it was well i watched the highlights this morning because the moment i turned it on last night to to watch it um 
Jack Whitehall was making an incest joke to Harry Styles and his sister about keeping it in the family. And I was like, I don't need this right now. And I just switched it off. Uh, but yeah, I watched some some highlights this morning. There's some good performances, uh, some interesting winners. My reason to be cheerful relates to the Brits. So mm, I'll, okay, you can I'll, hold, I'll keep the rest of it thought. for um, that. What about you? Yeah, good. Um, last Thursday was one of the other reasons that we couldn't do the podcast because I was in Belfast for mm. uh, Output Music Week, uh, music festival, um, conference, and uh, night one night showcase, uh, which we've been going to for the last three years. We co-hosted a um, showcase uh, with four bands: Silverbacks, April, uh, Careerist, um, and uh, Trick Mist from Dundalk. And uh, it was in the Ulster Sports Club, which is a great venue. Oh. And uh, I got to DJ afterwards, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, um, in Reasons to be Cheerful. Um, but I also had a, a just a lovely time. I always have a lovely time in Belfast. Um, there was a particularly enlightening um, talk at it, uh, featuring Peter Oxendale, who was mm-hmm. a noted as he calls it, forensic musicologist. And um, I am a big fan of his. Yes. Um, so he's been involved in all of the big uh, copyright cases in the last 30 years, possibly. Mm. Um, talking about the likes of Blurred Lines. He was an advisor on on the court case for that. Um, Sam's, when Sam Smith was pitted against uh, Tom Petty, uh, he advised Sam Smith to uh, settle mm-hmm. <laughs> and not go to court mm-hmm. because he actually played some of the audio for that song. The, you know, Sam Smith, stay with me. Uh, Tom Petty, uh, don't back, I won't back down. And if you put them together in the oh, same yeah. key, they're oh, yeah. almost, they just weave over each other perfectly. Mm-hmm. Too they much. Do. When you messaged me to say that you were at that talk, um, I think because he was a musicologist, um, I just completely kind of fangirled and I was like, oh my God, what's his name? I think I know this guy. And then I did. He's he's incredible. Like, yeah. I think I, anybody who um, whose work involves the the kind of the law around what is and isn't ownership in music is such an interesting. It's uh, definitely nerdy stuff. I'm totally into it. Mm, I love did it. You, did you hear about that group, actually? Um, I, oh, I should have read more about it before before we started, but um there's a pair of guys in the US who have using like maths and algorithms, they tried to uh, map out every melody um, that could be conceived on on the keyboard. Obviously, they couldn't do it. There's more melodies on, on a keyboard uh, than grains of sand, you know, on the planet. So they they whittled it down to 12 tone melodies Um in one octave and there's so many million of them so they have these these melodies on a hard drive somewhere and they've copyrighted them and they've they've done it to kind of as a I guess as a kind of a protest against um the idea of ownership of music and particularly ownership of chord progressions and melodies I think melodies are a little bit easier to say yes you've lifted it but there have been numerous court cases where somebody has sued somebody else for having the same chord progression even if it's not in the same key even if it's transposed up or down or it's it's the progression itself you know like it's the the two five one not even the like c g a or, or whatever and so yeah so these two guys if 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 I'll I'll find the video I watched and we can put it in the 
in the show notes on the podcast thing because it's really, really, really interesting. Well, what was interesting about that talk was that he started by saying there's three things that basically every copyright case is judged on. Mm. And uh, I can't even remember what exactly it was like originality um substantial substantiality whatever they would say mm. um like how much is there the originality of it and there was something else as well is, is it timbre because i know timbre comes mm. up a lot well i can't remember exactly what it was but it made sense it was like a tree like a cherry saying and okay. um, but he's saying what's happened in the last few years because of the likes of blurred lines like the blurred line case is an interesting one because here we have uh whatever you think of robin thick it's a song that is clearly inspired by uh, Marvin Gaye's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's it called? Getting on up. I can't, I can't remember what the song um, was. Something like that. Yeah, so getting on up, I think. Um, and it's it has some very similar, like it's stylistically very similar, mm. but the notes are different. Mm-hmm. But it has some percussion similarities, but not the same notes. Mm-hmm. And it has some background chatter, like at a party. Yeah. And that is a big precedent because that case was deemed to be in copyright infringement mm. but i actually like under the original what people would have said it isn't mm. and there was another one about um eminem um, and this new zealand ad um which i wonder if i can find actually um new zealand ad this so basically somebody did an eminem style lose yourself style um track where it has a guitar that goes like chugs i remember this and then yeah it's very similar but mm. it's not the same notes yeah and that was also deemed to be in copyright mm. infringement. And it's, it's, there was another case with uh, Katy Perry where something... Com- the Christian rapper? Yeah, it was something completely ridiculous it was, two, was decided it's two notes. on. But, but dun, the, dun, the, dun, the thing dun. that that case um, hinged on was whether or not the artist in question, the, the defendant has heard the song or not and they in That's the court right, yeah, decided yeah, yeah, yeah. that because her song had x x amount of million views on youtube it was probable that they'd heard it so so then you you have this whole other dimension of you know if if a song is unpopular are you allowed to rip it off or are 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 does that song then stand less of a chance? Yeah. I think it's like notoriety is one of those tenets of yeah. those three where you can say, well, uh, for example, Peter Oxendale said that Sam Smith had never heard Tom Petty before. I was sure. like, come on, man. But but whether or not he'd like heard Tom Petty, surely a forensic musicologist's presence in the courtroom is is kind of his his job, his or her job is to detract the, the the musicality of it and the tonality of it away from its cultural context because I fully believe that somebody could have never heard Tom Petty before that's fine but to me it doesn't matter it's it's how how close is it in terms of its feeling in terms of its timbre well the other thing about how that obvious is, is it you yeah, know it depends on what side of the court uh, he's been hired by Sure. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, so mm. then there's the so this is the this is Sam Smith and Tom Petty one, and like, um, you can hear in this that you know there's very much the similarities are there, mm-hmm. um, and how close they all both are. Oh, won't you stay with me? Cause you're all I need. This ain't love; it's clear to see. Darling, stay with me. Well, I won't back down. 
So you can play those songs over each other and in the right key, which he did on the day, and you can hear the similarity in them. And that is a particular one that's quite uh, obvious. And uh, but but, th- but then again, there there's there's cases like um, the Flaming Lips. Uh, what is the track on? Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the track. It's on the Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots album. And oh, I know the one you're talking and they about, yeah. they wrote it and then they realized it's exactly Father and Son by um Cat Stevens and immediately just said, Look, we just we we know that song, we love that song, it's ingrained in our musicality, but we didn't realize that we'd yeah. rewritten it. So gave gave a songwriting credit, absolutely fine. Actually, a song we'll discuss later in Songs of the Week did a similar thing. Um in terms of give, giving a songwriting credit for a similar melody. Um but yeah, it's it's very strange because there will come a point where we run out of like so the the Sam Smith Tom Petty one is is a similarity in chord progression like I was talking about, and there will come a point where like we we work within like an an octave usually. Yeah. There's only so many ways that you can progress three or four chords without it sounding dissonant or without it sounding bad yeah. within yeah. a major scale or within a minor scale. So we're going to run out of things like that. So I think like with Blurred Lines set a kind of precipice where these cases are not only massive, like massive, massive amounts of money involved in them, but also you can point to that case now and say, well, that's that's kind of our modern benchmark. Yeah, well, this is what he's saying. He's saying the... Basically, all of the the tenets of what what uh, it was that mm. defined copyright infringement are now out the window based off because of the precedence of these cases yeah, yeah. that no one knows. He kept calling it the Wild Wild West mm-hmm. of um, you know that's what music is now. Like music copyright is the Wild Wild West. We don't know what it is because yeah. there's no way you could have been able to reasonably assume that somebody may not have heard a song, but with the internet now, you can safely assume that if the the Proving that it's much harder when you have access to the there's, internet. There's absolutely no way that you can prove or disprove whether or not somebody's yeah. heard a song. Like there's, there's, there's no way. And I, and I think in that Katy Perry case, it was absolutely ridiculous for the court to even put forward the the, the number of views on a YouTube video of all yeah. things, like on one platform, not even Spotify, like just this one particular platform. You know, it's yeah, it's sure. really it's a really really complex and interesting topic that it it feels like we should have. A grasp on it by now, but like you yeah. said, like Wild Wild West, like with that Katy Perry one, case. it's like the sim- the it was so simple, mm-hmm. and it's not original enough to be copyright infringement, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a topic I find endlessly fascinating, and uh, I'm nerdy about it mm-hmm. in a way. But if it's there's really any forensic musicologists out there, please get in touch because we'd love to pick I'd, your brain. I think I might try this. and get. Uh, we might get tra- Peter Oxnellian for a chat someday. That or would be over the phone at least. That'd be amazing for yeah. a chat and yeah. see what uh, what's going on or what's happened since. If there's any big cases coming up, maybe he can advise us. Um, okay, so what we're going to move on to uh, reasons oh, to be cheerful. It's reasons to be cheerful. We're going to go Ooh. straight up with the reasons. Um, okay. Dre, tell me what your first reason to be cheerful is. So do you remember, if you cast your mind back two weeks, uh, we had the lovely Dave Hanratty and Norma in the studio and we were talking about the Super Bowl. 
And I was expressing my disappointment with basically every big award show that's happened, every big stage where there's been a, a possibility of nuanced conversation being yes. brought to the front. Well, it's finally happened. The Brits last night, Dave, winner of Album of the Year for his album Psychodrama, which actually, which also, I have a trivia question for you. Okay. Um, his album Psychodrama won the Mercury Prize last year and yes. it won the Brits last night. Only one other album has won both of both of those prizes for the I'm same album. Do you know what it is? <laughs> um, Hazard a guess. Is it? Uh, it's very Brits. It's very Brits. Yeah. Is it? Um, if you want, do you want another clue? Yes. It's a debut. Uh, oh, oh, I'm not going to get this. No, I don't know. It is whatever people say I am. That's what I'm not by the Arctic oh, Monkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. there you go. Very, very good. Um, so, yeah. So last night, uh, Dave performed uh, his track uh, Black uh, uh, on the Brit stage with a newly written verse, which just sort of ev everything that is in the cultural conversation in Britain right now and even going back to things that should have been discussed a little bit more at the time was brought up. So he referenced Grenfell. Uh, he called Boris Johnson a racist. Uh, he brought up the tabloid coverage of Meghan Markle and how that's problematic and racist and, and kind of generally terrible and also shouted out the victim uh, of the London Bridge attack Jack Merritt who he apparently met before um, and so the, the the track is kind of an interesting uh, piece about the perceptions and realities of like black experiences in the UK at the moment so he added this in like really really seamlessly it was performed with just his voice and piano and it was it was a really really moving piece i think um it was the only performance of the night that i that i felt like yeah actually this person has used this stage well and it's it's that thing that i've been kind of missing with the grammys with the super bowl with all of these huge stages all of these huge acts it took dave to come along and and actually use it for something um so i was just i i was blown away by it, it was really really moving really brilliant and by, very well done by contrast who else was performing uh lizzo performed she was great obviously um harry styles performed he was good uh billy eilish performed she was good but like she did the bond team right yeah yeah it was it was kind of yeah it just sounded great huge orchestra and all that um but the crowd were really annoying because uh, they kept yelling like, we love you, Billy. Like at all the like crucial moments of right, it, all the yeah. like paired back moments. And I was just like, shut up. Uh, I kind of wish she'd done bury a friend or a bad guy or something, but makes complete sense that she did the Bond theme. Absolutely fine. She was great. Like all the other performances were good. Um, but yeah, if you if you haven't seen Dave's performance of uh, Black on the Brits, uh, I highly highly recommend it. Very good. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't watched it yet, so I will do that. Um, I have uh, my reasons to be cheerful are pretty basic in terms of their things I've learned this week. Uh, James Murphy is to play at District Eight on yeah. Sunday, May thirty first. Always a fan of his uh, DJ sets. And uh, does he have support yet? Uh, yeah, shit robot Kellyanne Byrne and Pat Shortall. So oh, there you go. Um, that'll be a Sunday, Bank Holiday Sunday, 
in May is it? June bank holiday June June 1st like kind of yeah um, that'll be good um, that will always be good. enjoy that uh, and the other one is uh, is a song that I played um, while I was DJing in at Output in Belfast the first track I played just one of those songs that um, I can't quite explain why I like it so much but uh, it sounded really fucking good when I played it basically I played in this lovely venue for the after party mm-hmm. um, Ulster Sports Club I had a great hour, and, I just had an hour and a half and it was just great crack and everyone was up for it and uh, there was people dancing on the stage and I was just like, this is great, this mm-hmm. is where you DJ. Good. So I just had a really good time and uh, I kicked it off with this track uh, on the night. Uh, Morris Fulton and Peggy Goo the song is called Jigu I was going to uh, say that I'm going to level with you I have no idea what that song is <laughs> is that a big a big no, song it only, it only came out last week oh okay it only came out last week and Lovely. I was like it was okay. one of those ones where you heard it on the uh, on the Wednesday played it on the Thursday and I was like yes and it went down well yeah it's great excellent it's great. awesome um, I had a really good time with that so uh, yeah just enjoying DJing that's really it cool um, I'm DJing this Friday night uh, before the gig we're putting on. Uh, Cinema is playing live in uh, Lost Lane, late night show. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. And we've got Lumo on Saturday as well. So another action packed DJ weekend for me ahead. Um, and I actually, another thing I really enjoyed, um, a reason to be cheerful, because mm. we didn't talk about last week because I went the week before, is Donald Deneen's Club Night Backstory, which was on. Um, I had a great time with that. It, it is really hard to find out when it's on sometimes because you have to be on a mailing list and it's on a jigsaw and it's BYO. And uh, so it usually clashes with Lumo. So we don't actually get to go a lot of the time. So it didn't this It didn't this month. No, it's lovely. It's lovely. It's very similar vibe in lots of ways, except for it's like obviously not in a bar or on a club. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's no bar. Um, mm. So you just bring in cans or whatever. But it was just a really lovely experience. It was a really nice dancing crowd. Like we got there 11 really kind of fairly early for a club and filled up and uh tunes are just really good i heard loads of stuff i really liked it was don denine mick t walk and a guy from belgium called dj sofa and it's just it was just a lovely experience it was like people just there to dance good it was lovely where Um, are the clubs that start at eight and end (laughs) at quarter to 11 so that i can get my bus home (laughs) no one wants to go to a club i want to go to a club at eight o'clock okay if we we all meet in the pub at five (laughs) like i just i'm 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 so with you on that i'm just i wish too old i like this saturday i was like i'd love people just turn up to lumo like fucking quarter to 11 yeah like not one o'clock everyone always turns up at one o'clock i I consider like if i'm looking at my watch and i'm like we're going to the club which I very rarely do, let's be honest. But if I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, oh, God, it's 11 o'clock. We really, we better get going. We're going to be late for the club. Yeah. Like, I just, I never got the whole let's order a taxi at half 12 thing. I, like, it just yeah. never, never appealed to me. I'm like, I want to be in bed. Well, I want to go pr- and have my little pranks, dance. It's isn't it? It's prinks and all that stuff. Um, People want to do Yeah, that. but then once I'm at prinks, it's like, I hate that phrase. Once know, I'm... Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Once I'm um, at the, the preset in someone's gaff, like nine times out of ten, if there's somebody staying back and like, oh, I'm not in the mood. It's somebody who lives in the house and it's like, oh, I'm not in the mood to go out. I'm like, I'm staying back with you. Like, I'm not not bothered going out now at this stage. Yeah. Like, I get you. It's, it's tomorrow you're out, now. You're out, you're yeah, out, you know. But it's and now actually, tomorrow. Like, even, even, even Backstory was like, um, it was piss and rain. It was a horrible stormy night. Yeah, um, I nearly didn't go. Yeah. I was like, oh, all the way across town. And Perfectly reasonable. And Simon came over to my house and he was just like, let's just go. Let's just go. And we'll have our we'll have our drinks there. We're going to have a can here. We'll just have, a, just have it there. Because yeah. it was BYO. So I was like, why not? Yeah. Um, so actually, that was a, a good thing about it. Yeah. Uh, it Maybe I'll also... start my own club night. Starts at seven. Everyone's home by ten. <laughs> yeah, you should. We play exclusively Bright Eyes. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exclusively your, Bright Eyes. your sad girls club. Y- yeah. Support by Gadget and the Cloud. Uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> it would be also remiss of me this week. And that's not a reason to be cheerful at all. But it is uh, in the context of dance music to mention the death of Andrew Wetherall this week. Uh, very sad to hear. Um, uh, but what was nice is to see the outpouring of um, influence and respect for a producer like that yeah. on social media. Seemed like I'd never actually met him myself, been at a few of his DJ sets, but he just seemed to... Be a real sound man yeah. who obviously had loads of production credits and uh, for the likes of Scream Adelica, Prime and Scream and Two Lone Swordsman and remixes and all sorts of stuff. Known primarily as a as a very good DJ in the last 15 years for sure. Um, but it was just really nice to see on social media everyone. There was loads of selfies and people taking pictures with him. Yeah, I saw that. Like he seemed like a nice guy and like, you know, uh, a bad, uh, a sad loss to uh, music and particularly club culture. Yeah. Um, in Europe um, so sorry to hear that um, okay so we'll move on to songs of the week uh, our Big week. first track is uh, your choice Andrea it is a song from Hamilton Lighthouser and it is called Here They Come Hamilton Lighthouser, uh, Andrea, give me some context. Obviously, I know he was a singer in The Walkman. What is this from? Where is it coming from? Where is Hamilton coming from? So Hamilton Lighthouser, um, like you said, uh, lead singer of The Walkman. I think one of our greatest vocalists um, who is making music today. Um, it's been a while since we've heard from him. Uh, his last album which was with Rostam, I Had a Dream That You Were Mine, came out in 2016. Wow. It was, I think, top three albums of the decade for me. Um, I absolutely adore. Are you familiar with the album? Um, probably not for me overall, uh, I would say. Lo- I, I adored it. Um, and it came out, I, I discovered it slash it came out around the same time as 22 a million. So it was all, it was all, there was a lot going on right then. But uh, anyway, 
This is off an upcoming LP. We don't have a date for it. Um, but I think I think it's a really interesting, lovely song. I, lo- I love the sound of it. Um, I was talking to Harry about it, um, my, my BF. Um, and he was saying, I really want Hamilton Lighthouser to make a country album. And I completely agree. I think he's he's so suited to that. So you have like the the re- really interesting kind of guitar picking that he does so effortlessly. You got a bit of banjo in there. It's a bit of like honky tonk piano. Um, I think the lyrics are great. It's a song about a guy who runs away from all his problems um, and never faces up to things. And it sort of opens with this character in a movie theater um, while the lights are coming on um, after after the movie. And he has to then kind of leave the theater and face his life and face the people in his life who he might be hurting or face his problems but I think the lyrics in it are, are really cool like this the, the beginning of it it just he paints such a I'm gonna read a little, a little bit of it but he paints such a picture that like you are sitting there in the theater so the opening lines are the lights are coming on and all your candy's gone spinning through the previews flipping through the seats popcorn in your loafers sugar in your teeth um and then it goes on uh uh you say the lovers in your life should listen to you more, but you can tell that to the usher showing you the door. All the lights are on and all my candy's gone. I just think it's it's so brilliantly kind of setting at the beginning. You're like, you're like, oh, I'm here. I'm literally sitting here in the theater with this man. And then, yeah, he's got that really kind of low grainy voice at the beginning. And then it explodes into like, you're like, oh my God, please take a lozenge, like, but in, in the most, in the most brilliant way. Um, but yeah, I, I met him when I saw him play in the Workman's of all places in, I think 2017. And he was the tallest and most lovely man in the entire world. And he signed my LP and, um, I just adore him. I just think, I think he's brilliant and I don't think he gets enough he, his fans love him and kind of think of him as like a songwriting god, but I, I, he hasn't really. There's a lot of people who still don't know who he is or still think he's just the guy from the Walkman. But his his solo stuff is is brilliant. Yeah, well, maybe coming back after four years might help that. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Uh, and y- Ewan McGregor was in the music video for this, so oh, yeah, yeah okay, very, very strange good. video, but yeah. Someone else who's come back. Very oh. recently. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, the Strokes, two songs in the last week. Two songs. We're only going to talk about one. Well, we'll play the bad. new one. This is called <laughs> Bad Decisions uh, from their new album, forthcoming album, The New Abnormal. So, new music from The Strokes. Yep. Um, album has been announced. 
Um, do you have the date there, Handy? Um, the date hasn't been announced yet. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. So they announced this at a Bernie Sanders rally. Um, a very eventful rally. Very eventful rally. A lot, a lot going on with music there. Maybe we'll do something closer to the election on the music of the 2020 presidential election because the 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 Bernie side of things is shaping up like a pretty nifty festival, if you ask me. Yeah, that's but true. Um, that's true. so yeah, second second song we've had from them. Um, that have have been kind of teased about this new album. First track at the door, kind of came out to mixed reviews. It, it was definitely. What did you think of it? Um, I was sort of okay with it. It reminded me a lot more of uh, Julian Casablanca's work with like the voids yeah. and his solo. I liked stuff. it though. I liked it was a bit of a curveball. Yeah, wasn't exactly what you expect. Where this one is more what you'd expect from. Yeah, the I, I guess with with at the door, I was a little bit disappointed because I don't think I want a new voids Julian Casablanca's record. I want a Strokes record. So when this came out, um, I just it, yeah, it kind of floored me how they've managed to re-bottle that sound. Like it's uh, everything about this that it is so kind of thrilling. It's it's the thing that got you into the strokes in the first place. Those kind of complex guitar lines that work so well together. There's a kind of a, a haze around it that makes it feel nostalgic. But if if a young person heard this today, this could absolutely be the thing that gets them into the strokes. And you're like, okay, well, you've got two slash three albums. <laughs> I love the qualifier. Ignore the fourth. <laughs> um, but like you've got two or three albums that sound like this. So go and go and discover them. But And they're I, all their influences. And well therefore. You have yeah, I mean, like we mentioned before, the Arctic Monkey, like all of it. Um have you watched the music video for this? Uh, only briefly, yeah, yeah. It's I really cool. Watch it all the way through. Yeah, it's very cool. It's um, it it it's sort of a play on old uh, TV infomercials where you can order your own clone of the Strokes, uh, and you have all these different versions. So I think they're definitely there's there's a self awareness with how similar to their early stuff this song is by saying you know yeah we we do know that the strokes are a package and we know that there is a certain look and sound that is expected from us so they definitely play around with that a little bit in in the music video which I really like but yeah it's it it just it like, like I said it, ha it has everything that made the strokes so good when they first happened we haven't had an album from them since 2013 which feels insane but like it was so, it's been such a long time um time is right for yeah the um, and it, it is i i, I think feels so like the right time. and i really really hope that they retain this level of energy on the album because more than anything this just sounds like they are enjoying it again. Um, and I guess like the 2013 album, the thing that didn't click with me with that album, I, I, th I think there's good on it. I don't think it's as bad as a lot of Strokes fans kind of say it is. But um, it just, it felt a little bit like they were getting tired. Mm, um, funny, whereas yeah. now it's like, the lads you even see pictures of them like with Bernie Sanders and they just look so healthy and youthful and like they're raring to go and well having brilliant. read Meet Me in the Bathroom a couple of years ago mm. and reading about the what they were up to all the time they oh were they were young those albums yeah. and babies and uh, but they're all good. the bad stuff they were getting up to yeah but they're good boys like and they seem to be 
they seem to be taking care of themselves and, you know, aligning themselves strongly with Bernie Sanders is pretty cool. Like, I I, I thought it was really cool that they announced uh, the album at that rally to kind of draw attention to the rally, because obviously the Strokes announcing that they're a new album coming out is going to be massive. So they decided to do it, like Julian Casablancas in an interview af- afterwards explained that they decided to do it there to bring more attention to Bernie and his policies and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm just, I love everything about this. And they're also doing some dates, um, including one in Belfast next Monday. Yeah, Monday I'm night. not going. I can't. No, I'm not going because I've seen them last summer and I'm like, I'm I happy didn't. with that. I've never I'm seen cool them with live. That. Okay. You've never seen the Strokes live? I've never seen them live. No, if, if they do some dates in Europe sure later in the year, maybe. I, I'm going to hold out and uh, for the album and wait for that tour. Okay. Um, Belfast just snuck up on us. It's I like know, you can't yeah, it was all very, game. very last minute. For fuck's sake, like, yeah. um, but but I like that. I was like, keep you on your toes. It's like those strokes are playing in two weeks. I know, <laughs> great. Yeah, but um, but yeah, a brilliant, brilliant to have the lads back with such a strong start to the decade for them, and I, I, I really hope that they're that they're back for good. Sure. Okay, yeah. great. That is Bad Decision by The Strokes. Uh, our next track is by a band called Tennis. They're from Denver. Uh, it's their fifth album and this is a song from a called Runner. As a song from Tennis, a song called Runner from their fifth album, Swimmer. Um, before I continue, Dre, you had something Yeah, you sorry, to share. I forgot to say that it just related to our, our conversation earlier about um, music, copyright and ownership of music. Uh, Billy Idol is actually credited as one of the songwriters on The Strokes Bad Decisions because of the melody in the chorus being pretty much the same as dancing with myself right. so i thought that was really that interesting. is preemptive uh you know credit yes yeah, this yeah. is what we're talking about yeah. and People i think are actually afraid of being i don't now. like i i imagine they wrote it and then they were like ah oh, shit sounds just like it no i'll just yeah. give them a credit yeah. It's fine. Okay. Easily well, sorted out. But yeah, cool. interesting tidbit. Very good. Uh, so that song was from Tennis. Um, you were saying this feels like the uh, Venn diagram between my taste of music and your taste of music. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. I think that's probably fair. I think this is like just a really nice, pleasant song. And I don't think that's how I generally feel about Tennis. I quite, I have a soft spot for them. They're not a big marquee band. And they played a gig for me in Texas in 2012, I believe, at a Sepas OS party that I put on, which is, seems like a long time ago in my life. Um, but it was a long time ago. It life. was before the um, Last Strokes album. It was so. before <laughs> the Last Strokes album. Um, so Tennis, they just appear every now and again and release really nice kind of indie pop uh, albums. And this is another example of it for me. Runner is the standout track from their new album, Swimmer, for me. They're from Denver originally. And uh, if you're looking for a really nice, pleasant listen, you can do worse than listen to tennis. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible name as well for band. Uh, I don't think it's that bad. Eh, tennis. 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 Do you like tennis? Yes. 
Okay. Could mean anything. Well, another band that returned. Um, oh, did you see there's a band called um, Cocaine Piss? Yes. Going to be playing. <laughs> Speaking of bad band names. Yeah. I was having be fun with Dublin. the name. So Apparently they're great. Well, I listened to them and I was like, this is gas. Really? The name yeah. is Piss Poor, but this is gas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it was good. They're from Belgium. They're not bad. I must go and listen to them. Not bad. Kind of shouty, trashy, garage rock. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good. I'm open to that. Cocaine piss. Cocaine piss. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that's how you get your attention. I mean, yeah, that's some how you bands get covered. are called ham sandwich, some bands are called cocaine piss. You know, some bands are called super furry animals. Yeah. And some bands are called tennis. It's mad. I would have never because I'm because super furry animals have always been part of I know, my world. Yeah. Well, they just I don't become their name. About. They just become their name, right? Yeah. Um well here's another band band name. Uh the band Purity Ring have returned and they have a new song out called Stardew. That was Purity Ring. Song is called Stardew. That is from the third album coming out in uh, April on 4AD. It's called Womb. Um, I guess what's interesting about this is that it sounds exactly like everything else they've ever done. Yeah. And nothing has changed in the world of Purity Ring by the sound of it. Doesn't um, sound like it, no. No. Um, anyway, I what, was like... What are your general thoughts on them as a band? I, I have a soft spot for some of their early work, all right, and some of their last album, 2013 one. Um, but there's not much going on here to inspire me, I have to say. I liked um, their first album a lot. I Their second album was one of the first reviews I ever had published. Uh, so I obviously have a bit of a soft spot for that. And I remember liking it at the time. I remember a I couple of tracks from it. you haven't listened to it since. Uh, 2015 was when that came out. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. See, the thing about Purity Ring is that they were kind of... They were very of their time when they first came out. Like, totally. they were... You know, like they the, that that kind of sound and the church's sound and that sort of pitched up almost sexy baby vocals that mm. she does. Well, I think on this track it's very sexy baby. Um <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, we should probably explain. But no, well, no she know. sounds like a sexy baby, you know. Yeah, but that's, that's specifically from a thirty rock uh, yeah. sketch, right? But it's like I can't not notice it in in music now. Um and yeah, so I, I I don't know if I feel like this track is maybe a little bit dated in a way. Uh, totally, it sounds totally it? dated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but it's like, like EDM, I, I, early EDM meets like cool Gorilla vs. Yeah. Bear um, blog it's like stuff. What a, a what a candy raver listened to like yeah. ten years ago, I guess. Yeah. But like, I guess they've never really deviated from the sound that they had on the first record. So if that's just their sound, I guess fine. But um good, good light band though. Good light yeah, band. I've they never, were yeah, they had look. these um their setup was particularly interesting. It was basically a lot of lights that he could hit as percussion and oh, uh, it looked quite cool. That's so cool. Okay. That is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but not much else has changed by the sound of it. No. 
Um, so will we move on? Because we're already at least 40 minutes in. Yeah, we've got a lot uh, to cover. So we're going to talk about the brand new album from Grimes, which is coming out this Friday. It is called Misanthropocene, and I can't say it properly, but that is what it's called. I've been and calling it Misanthropy because my brain won't read it as anything else. Okay, fair so. enough. Well, this is uh, well, the first song we heard from Grimes called So Heavy, I Fell Through the Earth. That is Grimes, the voice of Silicon Fascist Privilege herself, <laughs> as Zola Jesus called her. Um, this is the fifth album from Grimes, right? Um, mm. Obviously, there's been a lot going on in the world of Claire Boucher in the last year and a half, two years, even more. So much so that you forget almost that she made music yeah. um, at points. You know, there's the whole Elon Musk thing. Um, she's going out with him. Um, she's having his baby. Uh, and yeah is that true is that happening yeah yeah she's pregnant okay well so was, to bring it back to the music what we heard about this was that uh, a while ago she was like it's a concept album about the anthropomorphic goddess of climate change a psychedelic space dwelling demon beauty queen who relishes the end of the world she's composed of ivory and oil each song will be a different embodiment of human extinction as depicted through a pop star demonology mm-hmm. right standards right do we get that we've just had that we've had this so many times from different artists you know it's like it's so derivative <laughs> here we go it. again the goddess oh, of climate change another album. goddess of climate change so i think this album is is a very very interesting listen um it is in many ways an exploration of kind of the worst that humanity has to offer but it but it isn't cynical it's it's definitely like a dialogue with I and I think this is a sentence you can only really ever say about Grimes but it's it's a dialogue with the earth um so she she <laughs> you, you can know only say that about Grimes. it's only Grimes you can say that with but she plays you know this this villain that I think in a way we've all kind of come to understand her as a villain in a way like her her fans and the media have kind of labeled her a traitor, a sellout, a political turncoat uh, in terms of, you know, being very socially and politically progressive and then getting into a relationship with a billionaire, which is, you know, a very, you know, promoting a capitalist kind of idea. Um, so she wraps all of this sort of pain and idea like political ideas into this central character doing what is the worst imaginable thing which is destroying the earth like like literally like not only destroying the earth but defending her decision to do so through music and so and, and I think that that as a concept is so fitting and it's fitting that it's released now actually this week or this Friday within our wider cultural conversation about kindness and about how we treat celebrity and how we treat people who we kind of feel like we have ownership over their lives like she she has had to just 
step into a character and play the villain, which I find so interesting. The, the, the album kind of feels like you're looking at a 19th century painting of the Four Horsemen or the Apocalypse in insofar as you're looking at something gruesome and you're looking at something devastating in the true sense of the word but it's it's actual like the I guess the 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 mode and the method required to produce the thing is in itself kind of in contrast to it so what I mean by that is in order to create art that talks about the end of the world you first have to create art and that that is its own defense I suppose against it and I think that that's where the cynicism kind of stops um there's a lot on this record there's a lot to be said for this record as something that kind of something that puts forward the idea of art and creativity as a savior um, and I think that that's more to do with the act and nuance with which she's created this character, if any of that makes sense. Okay. Um, Did you get any of that? <laughs> yeah, I do. I know where you're coming from because mm. I do feel like the whole dystopian quality of this album is its defining characteristic. Mm. Um, but I am finding it quite hard to relate to. Sure. Whether it's... Like, and I talked about this before about, you know, you can watch a movie you don't quite understand, kind of enjoy it. Or you can watch a movie that's kind of stressful, like Uncut Gems and enjoy it. Mm. Um, where this is quite dark and anxious and filled with dread. This um, And I don't know if this 21st century industrial world ending AI pop aesthetic is something I'm here for. Okay. Um, I mean, it's just not really as an album altogether. I feel it feels quite disjointed to me. I'm not really sure uh, how I'm spinning this one. It's kind of sure hasn't quite landed. With well, me. I I think there's in in terms of yeah, I mean in in terms of its topic, it's obviously very very heavy and very dark and kind of wrapped up in a lot of theatrics and nearly like cosplaying. I I suppose. But I think there's something to be said for the fact that these conversations in music are, I, I, I think, vital in terms of discussing climate change, the internet, AI. Like if, if, we, if we're going to take progress in art and particularly like how we use art and technology together seriously then we do need to kind of think about these things and I think that she does that really well she doesn't always do it in the most pretty way but I don't think art should always be pretty and I don't think that she's set out to do that but I think that there's definitely something to be said for the fact that our our female pop stars are the ones having these conversations like you think of Billie Eilish you think of Lana Del Rey and you think of Grimes they're all tackling the like there's there's no other pop star there's no other pop stars male pop stars that are doing it with such nuance and I think that that's probably like that's probably part of the the kind of darkness that we have in our kind of pop women these days but also it's probably because these women tend to be burdened with a lot more criticism of their behavior and their authenticity. Like Grimes is a perfect example of that. But like, 
even if you look at like the wider relationship between women and climate change, like the whole greenwashed uh, sustainability industry is kind of drives itself on women being guilted into into things where men kind of aren't. Um, So you think of like sustainable fashion, sustainable beauty. there's just more things to shame women about. And I suppose that, that there's, there's maybe something there as, uh, as to why it is our female pop stars that are tackling these issues. And let's be honest, we've a bit of a drought when it comes to like decent male pop stars. We, we have had for, you know, half a decade now at this stage, but like, like there's no, there's no male pop star that I'm interested in. You know, like there's no, I, I can't think of one, but I do. Maddie I, Healy, are you interested in Maddie Healy? Uh, yeah, but that's kind of, I, I'd consider him a little bit left of pop. Okay. Like he's, he's definitely doing interesting stuff when it comes to, um, talking about these issues. Like, but I, I, I don't know if it's quite, it's not quite as art driven as Grimes and it's not quite no. as pop driven as the other two. There's there's something else going on with Matty Healy, which we'll definitely discuss in April, I think. That's when the album's coming out. Um, but yeah, Matty Healy's a good point, actually. Um, but I, I think this album has some bops on it. I, I think there's, there's okay. aesthetically quite beautiful moments on this. I think that's undeniable that there is definitely some, I guess, all right. So when you were saying there about, you know, Sorry, um, I, I threw a lot at you there. Yeah, I art needs to be, you know, it. Think think about music, and sometimes I'm trying to articulate this right. So, um, you know, you can watch, like I was saying, you can watch a film, and it can make you feel something, and you're not quite sure if you want to ever go back there. Mm. But music, one of the defining factors that characterizes it for me in terms of its worth, it's its ability to make you want to go back and listen to it again. That's to, interesting. To come back and be like, you know, be, for me to listen to an album once and be like, I think that's really good. And then to never go back to it mm. doesn't have the same amount of depth to it as a film that I might watch once. And I felt something deeply about it. That's very interesting that that's your kind of. I don't know if that's true. I'm trying to articulate that because I'm I'm like, I, I so admire So one, one might argue this. with that. Um, in terms of like lo- longevity and like re-listenability um, that there are entire genres of music that happen once. So if you take um, improvisational jazz, for instance, like that that's that moment in music is only ever going to happen once. Um, and it's impossible to revisit it. And one might argue that it has less personal worth for them I suppose Mm. um but then someone else might argue that it's it's in that kind of fleeting um that fleeting feeling you get from it is enough like you you don't you shouldn't not shouldn't but I mean I I don't believe you have to return to things that moved you more than once like before the internet but it's certainly how I would imagine how I it's a factor in how I think about like end of year lists and stuff like that Mm. or Things like we'll talk about the Tame Pal album shortly, which I don't think is perfect, but I do think that there's stuff that keeps me coming back to that one. Mm. And I don't know if that's like surface level stuff or, you know, this is a maybe a deeper listen in mm. terms of what it's trying to say. Um, I suppose last last year I had Tom York's Anima on my end of year albums list and I returned to it very little. 
Like yeah. I, I didn't go back to it much at all. And I, I feel like maybe maybe this album might be the same, but I, I maintain that there's some bops on it. I think that 4am is an absolute banger. Um, and it, it, it sort of, it joins that feeling of anxiety. It does sound a bit like how Uncut Gems makes you feel. It's there's that, a lot of anxiety on this album. There's a lot, lot of anxiety. But it's like the blown out kind of uh, drums and but I think there's a lot of big moments, big bass. There's like 4AM actually has drum and bass in it. It does, well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a straight up drum and bass track that sort of, for me, like when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, this this is the anxiety I feel when I'm in a club. Like this is this is why... This this sounds like me having a panic attack in a club, but in a really, really jammy way that I really liked. I also think um, Delete Forever was a very surprising track. Absolutely. To me, yeah, I like, was not expecting when that. When those opening guitar chords happen, I was like, nope, absolutely not. I am not about this. But then it, it really, it turns itself around into quite a sweet song I and I think that's mostly due to the kind of foregrounding of her vocals and her vocals sound really great across this record but I think probably best on Delete Forever. I think the production is quite strong on yeah. this album but I'm not sure about the songwriting overall. Okay. I'm not sure if there's you know she's saying some interesting stuff and mm. um, if you look at some of the lyrics here you know there's quite a theme going on this is the sound of the end of the world she sings them before the fever we party when the sun goes low imminent annihilation is so dope and my name is dark mm -hmm. um i shot myself yesterday got to heaven anyway think i might regret it now tied my feet to rocks and drowned that's on you'll miss me when i'm not around that's one of my that's my favorite track on the record and that's one of my favorite lyrics from the yeah. record i love that uh, Diddy Forever, in terms of its human, there's a lot of humanity to that song. Yeah. Um, about opioid addiction. And that is interesting to me because it, it, there's a lot where, there's a lot of sheen on this where you're like, it's all about the atmosphere and what her voice and what it creates. and But it's almost like it's really hard to see the humanity in it sometimes, mm. I find. Yeah, um, I think the humanity is kind of abstracted through the characterization of, of the voices we hear on the album. And I think that the, it's 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 a, it's a interesting and vital turn for Grimes as an artist who did not want to be a pop star hates her most recent album Art Angels says it's like the bane of her existence because I guess the the fans who thought of her as being a kind of a, a freak artist like a, a really really left of field experimental producer thought that it was far too pop popular and then the people who wanted her to be a pop star didn't think it was pop enough so this this is her like swinging that left again, just going mm. straight back around and affirming herself as somebody who isn't afraid to take risks, to to kind of take a topic that sounds like we rolled our eyes when we heard the 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 concept for this album. But I, I think she's pulled it off really, really well. Do you well. think there's much of that concept really here? Yeah. Can you deduce I, I, I think it's lyrically everywhere. that yeah. there is something about climate change here? Or is it more just no, the I effect of, of that no, kind I, of anxiety? No, I think, I think it, it goes beyond climate change to, to kind of encompass so much more. To encompass the idea that humans are these entitled creatures who 
especially like like Claire Boucher's generation who have grown up with the internet, our strange and anxious relationship with technology and how alienated we've all become because of it and how difficult it then is to have difficult conversations around climate change and climate um, anxiety and what, what is the word? Cli climate grief. I think there's a lot of that on here, but it's not it's not climate change discussed in the kind of wise blood, Titanic rising, almost kind of literal, you know, the floods are rising kind of way. It's it's a much more kind of technology based um, cry for help, I think. But at the core of it, I think that there's a a kind of a rallying cry for humanity and, and, a, and a defense of our ability to create art and to create meaningful exchange, I think, anyway. Um, but that's, okay. that's what I got from it anyway. Like, I know, I know it's not the most kind of earwormy thing that she was that Certainly she was going to put no, out. No, but I, could, I, I would have loved one other like song in there that would maybe be have a bit more of that sweetness or that intimacy to give you some contrast mm. in there maybe because it's qual quite heavy mm. even like violence which is probably the single on it yeah is quite heavy in yeah. lots of ways um but i think that that's just that's who she is as an artist sure yeah. i agree with that yeah but yeah that's that's my thoughts on Grimes. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think I still have a lot of t uh, listening to do with this one to figure out where I land with it ultimately. Sure. But uh, it's certainly a very different album. It doesn't help that we stuff. we've gotten this album before its release and we don't have the lyrics to read along with. They are on Genius, actually. I oh, are they? Yeah, they are oh, Genius, I didn't yeah. even look because. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I was trying to like make out lyrics from it, but um, yeah, I must sit down and do do a read through with the lyrics. Yeah, it's see, worth doing. It's worth doing go. because I think that will help you understand where it's coming from mm -hmm. in particular. And uh, yeah, um, as I said, I don't really know, like we don't give scores, obviously, but like I don't really know where this lands in terms for me um, overall. Um, like it is a mood, it is an atmosphere, that it hangs very well together. Um, but yeah, you're not going to get a big like poppy banger off this one. I, uh, again, 4 a.m., I don't think is I don't, well. I'm gonna finish with that mm. um, because I don't. I don't know. If, I just don't know if it's up there for me. Okay. Okay. That's Grimes and uh, Misanthropocene. Here's a song from it called 4 a.m.
Okay, that was Grimes at 4am. Uh, one of the songs we didn't discuss this week in Songs of the Week is uh, Billie Eilish's song, uh, which is the Bond theme, No Time to Die. And rather than uh, let us have the final word, I thought we'd ask Simon Roach, who's a friend of mine who uh, is a Lumo DJ and also a big Bond theme fan, loves the Bond films, collects the seven inches of uh, the Bond teams and is an authority on the Bond theme. So, um. I'm going to play uh, a little chat I had with him earlier this week about it. Uh, the full chat, including his top three, is actually, top three Bond songs is actually up on our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash nine or nine. But I'm going to play you now, um, Simon Roach, uh, talking a little bit about what makes a Bond team and how does the Billy Irish song uh, Bond team fit in to the canon. <laughs> So Simon Roach is a huge Bond fan and I thought it'd be no one better to ask about the new Bond team and the context of uh, how a Bond team is, how the sausage gets made in a Bond team. So what makes a good Bond team? I think there's, let's say, three things that make it up. One is this, that cinematic thing you were talking about and there's a sweep and that that comes from a couple of different angles and it could be it could be a number of these combined in a couple of different songs. So there's a kind of, there's like these chugging bass tones that they give it a bit of a sexy edge. There's, there's a, you know, there's a kind of, that's almost like, I don't know, like this kind of masculine beat somewhere underneath it. It's, that's been there all the way along. And then you've got bursts of brass in a lot of classic Bond songs. Big, like, not like just brass all the way through, just suddenly like the classic, that kind of stuff, just bursts of brass. Um, sometimes there's a guitar twang in there that I can't really go back to the origin of that. It does have a Bond sound to it. And then, of course, though, there's the strings. The strings that follow um, the original John Barry theme. And, I, I mean, I'm not a musicologist, but I guess they're all minor. It's all kind of minor keys, and they they keep it. It's it, there's That's the DNA is right in that. But I think all the other bits combined through the eras, through the 50 years or so, to make up um, that, that Bond feel in a lot of different songs. And there's a lot of great Bond songs that are great songs, but aren't, they, they veer away from that theme a little. And I, I think we like them more when they go back to that theme. Yeah, because they kind of, they follow uh, like formula or tropes, whatever you want to call it, like in the positive or negative, that is, uh, you kind of know what you're getting with a Bond theme. Yeah, and you want, but you also want to be a little bit surprised. But not that surprised, yeah, yes. you know. There's always that you yeah. want surprise me, but not too. Yeah, much. give me some personality here, and you know, let yeah. let me, but let me feel I'm in that universe. Also, like lyrically, it sometimes Bond movie titles are really hard to get into a song. Like Quantum of Solace is probably the hardest title of a Bond. Did they put that? In the song? Bond? No, they didn't. They called it Another Way to Die, and they completely left that out of the lyrics wisely. But um, you have like um. You you have like clever ones where um like nobody does it better is from the spy who loves me and the way Carly Simon works the the phrase the spy who loved me 
is keeping all my secrets safe tonight in. That was genius. Love that. So I think that's, again, like a sign of a great Bond song where you can take the title and you can... Sometimes it's easier, like Skyfall. Great. That also worked a treat. But like sometimes you have to be clever about that and, and it worked really well. It has to feel like the artist wouldn't have this on their album. I feel that's a real important thing that when you hear a track that you're like, there's no way that sits in the middle of an artist's album. Um, so I think they're very important as well. Okay, so that kind of brings us to Billie Eilish's uh, Bond song called No Time to Die. Yes. Which is also the name of the, no Time to Die. the film. Um, it does, to me, sound like this could fit in on her album, mostly. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's maybe, this is what's, this is what my feeling is on it, that it's not distinctive enough in any way. It's probably the most middle-of-the-road Bond song, and I mean middle-of-the-Bond-road. Yeah. Um, it does all the things it, it's supposed to do It does all the things It checks a lot of boxes But That bit of Personality They miss that They, they drop that So it's got the It's got the strings That swell as it goes to the end And it's It's very Billy in the Vocals and the enunciation And all the way That You know Carries through It's a pop song Like you go back to Duran Duran And Aha um, They were Pop songs And they've got her to do a pop song, but then they've completely restricted her. <laughs> it was um, Hans Zimmer and Johnny Marr who actually did the instrumentation on the song. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. and and they've. I don't know where Johnny really comes into it yeah. that much, which is a pity because I thought, yeah, like Chris Cornell did an amazing rock Bond song up there with "Live and Let Die." They're the two best rock Bond songs with guitar to the fore. Um, I don't know where Johnny Marr was in this one. It seems, okay. it seems like it's. The music from the soundtrack with her singing over it rather than Yeah, it does feel like this that, standalone yeah. Bond yeah. song, you know? Okay, so that's how you feel about it. Obviously, you haven't seen the film yet. You don't know what the no. context is gonna look like in terms of the title sequence, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um so how much does that change? I, I think that'll be very important. Yeah, I think that'll be very important for this song. Because it doesn't have big single uh on its own you know it's it it stands as a part of a soundtrack i feel right now so it will be it will probably work really well you know it'll probably be a fantastic song to open a movie where the theme the musical theme is then carried through the whole movie i imagine that that's what it is i i think it's hans zimmer's bond song rather than anything else you know i i feel there's the the personality missed but then you go back to adele and you had this huge track straight away could stand on its own. And also it was a little bit different to her stuff, you know? Yeah. And even at concerts, she kind of nearly apologizes for playing it and says, you might not have heard this. And the, she does Skyfall and, right. you know, that's, yeah. it, it's an odd one, but it makes complete sense. And, you know, you have other, like again, another um, 
She's made that her own <coughs> as well. You know, yeah, oh, totally, yeah. But she's dominating that vocally and all that stuff. But Adele was a... So, um, Adele's songs were the start of... It was the second Daniel Craig movie and we're on the fourth now. And Sam Smith did the last one. And they are now part of this kind of late Daniel Craig era, if you want to call it that. Um, very dark, more mellower... You know, we're so far away from Roger Moore here now. You know, we're we're the furthest corner from Roger Moore. We're not even even Thunderball and those early tracks were a bit more jovial than um than where we're at now. It's it's a it's a modern kind of feel, darker, like Bond as well. You know, they wanted to get away from that self driving invisible car kind of stuff that Pierce Brosnan had, and uh, I guess the songs they went for a big rock song for Casino Royale. Um, and then they they've now gone down this this route of darker stuff. So it kind of it fits there, but I think it's oh, it's hard to know whether Sam Smith or Herman is the weakest. You've also got Adele just so far above everything else. This is the end. I've drowned and dreamed this moment. So overdue. Thank you, Simon Roach, for your uh, words and thoughts on James Bond theme and Billie Eilish's one in particular. Like I said, if you want to go uh, to patreon.com forward slash nine or nine, you can get some bonus content on it where Simon is talking about his top three. We play that nice little uh, bit of audio, I think, um, and including one surprising um, song that was uh, you well put forward as a Bond song. But never, didn't make never it. made it, um, and that is the little Bond song that couldn't. Yeah, Radiohead song, yeah. uh, Spectre. So if you want to hear that, that's patreon.com forward slash nine nine. And uh, yeah, so we have we didn't talk get to talk about one album last week, and it is um, from Tame Impala. It is called the Slow Rush. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna play a bit from Lost in Yesterday from Tame Impala uh, before we have a chat. That is Lost in Yesterday from Tame Impala's album, The Slow Rush. So obviously Tame Impala is Kevin Parker. Um, he'd been talking about releasing this album, his fourth album, uh, around the time of Coachella last year when he released a few uh, singles. Um, 
uh, it didn't work out that way. He wasn't finished. Um, so we went back uh, to the drawing board and finished it off. Um, so it is now out. Um, I want to say I was a huge fan of Currents, mm-hmm. uh, his last album. It was the my breakthrough Town Pala album, really. It was the one that really got me. I think it was for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and on this one, there is more disco and hip-hop and synth-based stuff um, very much still on the very psychedelic edge of things. Um, lyrically, it's thematically focused on the passage of time and how humans react to it. Um, its lead singles in advance didn't inspire much hope, to be honest, in me. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. That was one of the lead singles. Yeah, that was, the, that was the standout one for me. Yeah, and there was too. also Borderline. But see, the thing about Borderline on this album is uh, he's actually changed a lot of production on that song mm. and has beefed it up and made the bass better and the synths and stuff like that. So it's a more satisfying song now. Apparently he played the album at a listening party somewhere and uh, decided after hearing it in that context that there was more work to be done. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Imagine imagine realizing it in the room full of your fans and like, oh, yeah. I'm actually gonna change it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well see, <laughs> this is a guy who makes records, produces, it does everything himself. And when you're in that insert or process and yeah, it depends. I don't know exactly who he has. He did, he did in an interview with Diane Lowell last week mentioned that his label guy who he bounces ideas off. But like he is a solo musician. Yeah. Operating as a band and in full, and he is clearly very talented in what how he's able to construct his music so much so that he had a song where somebody thought it was he got accused of copyright infringement. Here we go again. Oh copyright my goodness! Turns out the theme it, of the week. Yes, it wasn't copyright infringement. It was actually he had done such a good version of or something so close to an original sample in terms of how he produced it mm. and all that kind of stuff that people just thought it was a sample, mm. um, which it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So for this, I wasn't, I was like, mm, I like Borderline. I was, uh, uh, but I didn't like it that much. I liked Lost in Yesterday. Patience was the, one of the lead singles that he released last year, which was very poor, actually. And, and this is not making on the album, no. which is good because it's very bland. So this is, Patience was like the worst of what the album could have been. Um, and to me, stuff like Lost in Yesterday is kind of some of the best stuff. I'm conflicted about this one myself. Um, there's a, I'm finding a lot to enjoy on this, but I'm also feeling it lacking very heavily. Yeah. Um, so again, we're coming back to What this. do you think it's lacking in? Because I can't, I'm trying to put my finger on it. <sighs> Lyrically, I think it's pretty lame. It doesn't inspire much uh, in terms of wanting to sing along to it or anything like that mm. it does kind of all fold into itself the songs don't have much of an um identity they all kind of you're like which one is that again which one is yeah. that again i'm getting a lot of that and i'm lis- i've listened to this for like three weeks straight now yeah and i'm still kind of going which one is that again um there is yeah there's a song uh on it called posthumous forgiveness a song about his dad who passed away um and there's elements of that I really enjoy, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if I'm really getting much from the vo- from the lyrics here either. Same with, uh, there's another song, um, It Might Be Time. Like, mm-hmm. there's things I love about the production. There's big crashing drums and the sirens and stuff like that in it. They're great, but the song is a bit of a drag because lyrically, it's just like, who wants to sing along to it might be time to face it at eight and fun as it used to be mm-hmm. it's just a bit lame and a bit like well this is a bit of a drag mm-hmm. do you know um and i think that the things that impresses me most are the passages in the album where i'm feeling 
I'm just enjoying nodding along to it, like a really good hip hop record, but it's not a hip hop record. It's a psychedelic kind of rock record uh, with yeah. traces of disco and house and stuff like that. You know, like Breathe Deeper is a song I find myself going back to a lot this week. Uh, and it, it makes sense to me because it has a lot of uh, the DNA that I really like. Uh, like it's got, it's like a funky hip hop kind of jam. And then it also has house piano chords. But again, it's flimsy in its lyrics. And what I love, like the sonic passages that close the record, that track, there's a minute passage mm. that kind of fades out. And there's a Chemical Brothers kind of acid squelch that goes on when I really like. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, half of the song is trash. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I'm like, but I'm also enjoying it at the same time. So it's like a real, like, then there's Is It True, which has a Daft Punk kind of style synth to it that I'm really enjoying. But then it's like, it's like you, you enjoy that part and then the rest of it you just like aren't even paying attention to. It's like it grabs your attention and then it just disappears. You know, your attention just like completely drops. Yeah. And you're like, uh, what was I listening to again? Oh yeah, Tempo. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of that with this. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I don't get it. Like, I don't. So I think I don't, I don't like this album. I'll, 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 I'll say that up front. Um, and I think what is annoying about it is that Currents was so good at what it did in terms of using different genres well and making this sort of crossover thing to the thing that hip hop people listen to dance music people listen to like pop music people listen to it it was entirely successful in that and this as as the kind of the next step in that it's there's way too many of these different things going on that once you grab onto one of one thing it's gone um it's to to use another painting analogy and I promise I, I did I didn't um I didn't plan this but I don't know, right, if, if you've ever painted a picture or drawn a picture in school or whatever and you you do all the colours first and you're like, this looks great, this looks finished and then your teacher comes over and says, no, you need to outline it now in black. This album is missing the black outline. It's just, it's just the smudges of colour for me and there's not much musically to link it together. There's a bit of a tenuous kind of strand of you know the theme of time but I don't really feel like he's saying much about it no. besides time is passing and time has passed and time will continue to pass it's like okay um yeah I I, I do kind of like where he went with with uh posthumous forgiveness but again the song was it it just it dragged for me and there's some songs on this record that are like six or seven minutes long and they've no reason to be that long. They've absolutely no reason to be that long. The record doesn't have any reason to be that long. There's so little to grab onto here. Lost in Yesterday is the only melody I remember. And I've listened to this album at least 10 times. Um, it's For me, I think what I always struggled with with Tame Impala is that I find it hard to get that connection. So, I, so my way in is the hook. Um, I think it's probably because of that kind of very glossed over sheened high falsetto that feels in his voice that feels far away so I'm sort of relying on the bass or I'm sort of relying on the melody to kind of keep me in and I I, I think he did that well on Currents whereas with this there's no memorable memory uh, melodies there's there's no there's just no hooks there's not a single hook on this album arguably um lost in yesterday sure but like 
other than that, I just, I found listening to it a slog, genuinely. And to Luke Sharkey, who is here in, you know, Neither Nines, Luke Sharkey, I can genuinely only apologize because I know (laughs) that this is, this is hurting you and you, it's like in Kill Bill, you know, when she. Luke's on holidays this week. You you know, when she kills your one and then the daughter sees and it's like, the time will come when you want revenge. (laughs) When that time comes, you find me. Luke, I know you're going to want (laughs) to chat to me about this. We'll do it in a beer garden. But, um, I just. How, how, who, I mean, I think Pitchfork gave this 8.0. Yeah, I think the reviews have been way too kind to it. Way too kind. want to be on his side. Yeah. Well, he's, he's a bit of a critical darling and I understand why, because I guess we, we can definitely take for granted that Tame Impala sound that kind of leaked everywhere, like off the back of Currents and, and inspired a lot of people. So like absolute credit where credit is due he is one of the most defining artists of the last decade in terms of its sound in kind of popular music but this this ain't it i feel like um what this is missing is actually some riffs yeah (laughs) to be honest it's like it's missing it's got a lot of pretty things happening around it's like it's very, it's like a synesthesia. I'd imagine this is an album, if you were had synesthesia, you would find a lot in it in terms of its colours. And I don't, is that how synesthesia works? I'm going to imagine it does, Yeah, right? I think um, so. But at the same time, I'm just like... But like I said, you can have splotches of colour on a thing. That's fine. But, but it's not forming it much. It needs to form something. Yeah. It needs to form a shape. And this just doesn't. Yeah, I, I'm Ted. The more I listen to it, the more I'm like, while I'm enjoying those passages and I'm enjoying those parts... I'm just, I know it's not great mm. either. The know? lyrics as well. I think you, you touched on the lyrics being a little bit lame. Um, I read the lyrics all the way through I, uh, earlier today. They feel, like, they feel like a first draft to me. Yeah. And and even some of his delivery, like the, the opening track. Um, one more year. One more year. I just, I, his delivery just was at odds with what I wanted to happen in the track. And then, as the track kind of progresses he's just saying one more year 52 weeks seven days in it and I'm like okay I think you you can definitely take that concept and do something really interesting with it but he he just didn't like he just I I don't know he's not the type of artist who I think should let his lyrics speak for themselves Hmm. because that's not where he is kind of the most talent that's not where his talents lie his talents lie as a producer and i think had he reined himself in from the influences a bit on this he would have had a much stronger record but unfortunately there's just way too much of anything for like in like like i said earlier with currents it's the hip-hop people liked it the dance music people liked it the pop music like pop music people liked it Whereas now it's like there's not enough hip hop for the for those people to like it. There's not enough pop. There's not yeah, enough dance. Yeah, there's not enough. So there's rock, there's yeah. no way in that I can see unless you're already a Tame Impala fan, which I kind of wasn't. Sure. Besides current current, yeah. so really disappointed. If he wanted to do something interesting with uh, the passing of time and music, he could have done something like uh, what Orbital did with Time Becomes a Loop where they use phasing to two identical samples to match up together and then out of phase and stuff like that. Yeah. Your man loves phasing. Yeah. 
I should have used that. Anyway, just <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. stuff like that. Um, I it's so weird. Yeah, it's just like it's. I'm so I'm almost conflicted by the fact that I keep going back to listen to it. Yeah, as if it's just like an easy choice. I didn't. Want Maybe this to. is like an equivalent of like uh, that Netflix series you know is a bit shit, but you just keep going back to it. To yeah. Watch it. It's the you it's of this It's the you year. of this. No, but you was, at least had some talking points. Like this doesn't have anything to talk yeah, about it in it. Right. But, but it's weird because there are moments like you, you, you mentioned it earlier, that there are moments that kind of sneak up on you and you're like, oh, that's actually a really beautiful tone there. Or that's a really beautiful kind of thing he's done there. But then it's gone. And I don't even know what songs they were in. Like they're just yeah, little fleeting moments. A lot. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Why didn't you take that and run with it instead of just throwing the kitchen sink at this yeah. album? It's way too long as well. There was a yes, it is. It's just Far fifty seven minutes. Oh. Um <laughs> there's no. a YouTube comment that pretty much sums up everything we're talking about. It was just like, uh, the songwriting is weak, but the production is fantastic. <laughs> I was yeah. like, Yeah, but production I guess is over. Yeah, you know, it does. The engagement part of it, of the songwriting, the yeah. human experience. I'm like, he's talking about we can get a home in Miami. It was like, what? Even if you look, it. like, if you be more cynical about it and look at the album cover, which is like uh, a lot of sand in a in a fancy room, you're like, this is a fucking most cliche thing I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, d- I, d- I'm. And he's been yeah. talking about wanting to be a pop star, and then like uh, halfway through. After I'd say three or four listens, when I was starting to think the narrative of this album actually might be this is his last one, and he just wants to go and write songs for someone else. Yeah, I did then listen, watch the Zane Lowe interview with him, where he seems like he wants to keep those thing two things very separate. Mm. Um, but I don't see. Well, I don't think we'll see another Tame Impala album now for another long time. The fact that it took him so long to finish yeah. it, and he had to go back to it, and he wasn't sure, and there just but feels I, a I, lot. I, in I that. wonder what that first draft was like. I wonder if the if it was a bit of a Kanye West situation where the more you do to something, the worse it gets. Like you, you think of some of the early cuts off Jesus is King that were unbelievable, like amazing hooks and they just weren't on the album. Like I, I wonder had if we could hear what he had before, if we could hear what those people listened to at that listening party, would it be a little bit more successful? Mm. I don't know. But unfortunately, this is the end product. Mm, okay. All right. So this is, uh, well, I'll play a bit of uh, Breed Deeper because you may need to after this. This is a shame listen to that track there Dre just said you could put this on in the background of an office so yeah. that's about the height of it from yeah. the temple of the slow rush or, or a lift uh, maybe maybe I'll have to ask uh, Luke Sharkey if he wants a counterpoint in, in an essay format uh, or a monologue next oh, week no. 
<laughs> okay, yeah, well, yeah, Luke, you're well. You're welcome to give us your two cents. Explain this to us. <laughs> I, I think know. you know. In fairness to Town Ballad, I think a lot of these songs will sound a lot better live because in the immediacy of that moment, you might they might Let, like sound more beefed up. It's gonna have to have a pretty full backing though. But there's not a lot of song, those songs I want to. I think will translate live because I think the songwriting is pretty weak on it. There's no let it happen on it. There's definitely not. And no. he does actually employ the same style, uh, the kind of uh, backward or the skipping kind of thing in one, the posthumous forgiveness, mm. actually. But it's just not as good or not used in the same way or as no. effective as it. So, uh, which is a pity because it's a song about his dad who passed away. Um, yeah. But you just don't really grasp any kind of emotional heft from it. Yeah. Perfect. So that's uh, Tame Paula. Album's called Slow Rush. Uh, so what else have been going on with you? What's been consuming you in the last two weeks? It's been a while. So if you follow me on social media, which you should, at Andrea Cleary underscore, um, you'll know that I've been having Pacino season in my house um, because, uh, and I've, I have a lot to say, <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to spew all of my feelings on um, like 60-year-old films. How long ago was the 70s? <laughs> so 50. What's that? 50 years ago, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's 2020. <laughs> it's easy to do that, Matt, now. Um, so I watched The Godfather, and I watched The Godfather Part 2 because I'd never seen either of those films. Um, have you seen those films? Yeah. Okay. Have you heard of The Godfather? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess I was just so blown away by it um and so annoyed with myself for not having because like growing up I was really in like when I was a teenager I was really into film I was really into cinema and I had my own thoughts on cinema and my own directors that I liked and all of the like the lads would be like oh yeah, yeah you you claim to like cinema and you haven't seen the godfather and so that just i was like well now i'll never watch the godfather because <laughs> i was a petulant youth um so yeah sat down and watched it on um the last weekend while i was sick um and was just completely and entirely and utterly blown away by it uh but particularly by al pacino's performance as michael corleone um cuz i kind of I don't know his early work. I don't know his 70s work that well. So hence Pacino season. So then weekend just gone, I watched Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, have you seen that? Though? Yeah, I think I watched that when I was like about to start college or something. Like yeah, that. right. So I think it's like maybe the best performance of an actor that I've ever seen in like <laughs> anything. It is <laughs> Wow. Stunning. You should rewatch it. If if it's been a while, you it's should rewatch it. Yeah. Now. Um and so now I'm just I'm making my way through all of his kind of so I went and did a lot of research and the 70s are kind of considered to be his like everyone listening to this is like, yeah, Andrea, <laughs> welcome to the past. But like the 70s is like considered his like golden age. Um, so this weekend we're going to do Serpico. I'll be back next week with a review of that. Um, <laughs> but really just enjoying. No, no spoilers. <laughs> yeah. And I think this was born off um, the when I watched Taxi Driver, having never seen it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just took a picture of Andrea because she's so excited about this. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I watched Taxi Driver and now I'm just like, I'm watching a lot of 1970s um, Pacino and um, De Niro 
stuff. So it's great. And also, it's nice to have stuff like that to look forward to. It is. And look, I'm a red blooded woman. I won't lie and say that it's all artistic. Al Pacino in the 1970s was the most beautiful (laughs) man I've ever seen in my entire life. And I can't believe, as somebody who is so like, interested in the changing aesthetics of male film stars and male pop stars i didn't know about 1970s al pacino if mm. anyone out there wants 3000 words on it hit me up because i got it i got it free <laughs> i'll do it for free <laughs> so that's all that's been preoccupying you pretty much uh, i think so um finished mind hunter was good second season yeah second season didn't do much for me i pr- much preferred it to the first Did season you? i found the first season quite boring uh but i stuck it out i liked the second season mindhunter um and then last night i rewatched um the devil wears prada oh for a laugh I did some rewatch in la- rewatching in the last week oh. um, well having gone to see Parasite which is as good as everyone says it is I'm going um, tomorrow I promise uh, I watched The Host again which ah. is uh, his other film uh, June Bong Ho uh, his 2006 film about um, a, par- well, uh, uh, a parasite well it's actually a parasite <laughs> yeah. a virus yeah a big a monster basically it's a monster movie yeah. where you see the monster have you seen Snow very good I have it's very good I yeah. haven't seen it yet oh, I think it's good. I'd actually like to watch that again yeah uh, and then I rewatched The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock <gasps> no way yeah. I love um, The Birds oh, look I love I love Hitchcock films me and, too uh, they that is one of my favourites um, although watching it again I realised there's a few shots that are pretty dodge in there Oh. There's a couple of reaction shots from Tippi Hendren at one point to the birds, and they're some of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. I was like, oh, but can't I mean, believe I didn't know. Is this. that just not by like modern standards, or no? It's particularly bad. Okay, it's right, particularly okay. bad. It's like four quick uh, cut shots of her reaction. Mm. It's like a gif. It's like somebody right. did a gif. And she's okay. like looking this way, and then she's looking this way, and then she's looking left, and then she's looking right again. And you're like, yeah. it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so amateur. It's actually amateur. Mm. Uh, by modern Hitchcock, standards, yeah. it's very amateur. Yeah. <laughs> Hitchcock, amateur. Well, okay. <laughs> I've never noticed it before, but it's there. It's yeah. there. Um, I love the birds. It's been a long time since I've watched it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love Hitchcock. Hitchcock's great. It's very good. It's mm. very good. Um, and uh, other than that, the other thing, I don't know if I talked about this before, but. Uh, have you heard George's podcast is the name of the podcast from George the Poet. Uh, I think it's BBC production. It's a very unique podcast. It's kind of, um, there's, I've only listened to the, the main one that I heard about was the Grenfell episode, which you mentioned earlier. Okay. Um, is there's an episode, it's kind of a little, it's like a poetry driven kind of story of it's what would you call it? It's like a poetry play kind of. Um, like an, it's an, a narrative. It's a definite, yeah. It's a narrative-driven yeah. thing about people around an idea. It's just uh, it's really hard to describe. Is it like L- London-based in terms of its story? So far, everything I've heard. Okay. Um, but it's like people who it's around Grenfell, but not really about that either. It's like about people growing up in London and uh, George the poet is in it as himself but he's also the narrator and all this kind of stuff and then there's like characters who speak in verse and um, that's really really interesting really Really interesting and it's very touching the Mm. grandfather one my god so it's very emotional that's called have you heard have you heard 
George's podcast. I, I love think. that. Yeah. You can yeah. know it's someone can only do that once. Yeah. <laughs> Not the best name in the world. I I I like that name, but no one else can should do it. Should have just been called George the Podcast instead of like Have you heard George the Podcast? No, I like it. Because you're not gonna He's called George the it. Poet. So like have you heard when you say it to people, you're like, What? Yeah. Uh, and uh anything else? Um no, not really. That's probably a lot of what I've been doing mm. in the last while. Um, watching oh rewatching old movies. Watch rewatch Teen Wolf last night. <gasps> I love Teen Wolf. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. That of freaked that me out when kind. I was a kid. Really? Yeah, there was parts in it that really freaked me out when I was a kid. And, I spent uh, a lot of my college days watching the really really shitty TV show Te- Teen oh, Wolf. Was there one? That's like loosely based on the concept but it's basically oh, wow. just a, lo- a load of like really beautiful teenagers who play lacrosse but one of them is a teen wolf and it's uh, but like loads of the other ones are like one girl's a witch one's a banshee oh yeah it's terrible but amazing Hold uh, on. D- dylan news? o'brien is in it teen is this an mtv thing yeah yeah right right there's like yeah. six seasons of it and um but it's so <laughs> it much fun terrible. because it's like they'll they'll be like Oh my god! Like I, I can't believe I can't play at the lacrosse game tonight. And then someone else is like, "Yeah, it's because you're a teen wolf, and there's a full moon." And he's like, "Oh, but no, we're not going to win the big game." And it's like, yeah. it's. Just, I mean, Teen Wolf is very high stakes. So much fun! Like stakes. it's just yeah. I spent a lot of time um, uh, smoking cigarettes and watching that in college. It's a good time. It's a very good time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, I think that's all from me this week. Yeah. I think I just have that's some stuff to look forward to in terms of you. Cinema playing live on Friday night and Lumo on Saturday. I think we are back to normal next week. Yeah. I think we'll be discussing Caribou's new album next week. Yeah. I believe. So that's out next week as well. Um, anything else you want to share? Patreon.com forward slash 909 for bonus content. And we're doing weekly playlists every week um, and loads more. So, yeah. Yeah, I got nothing. If you support the podcast, you want to support the site, that's how you do it. Patreon.com forward slash 909. Buy a coffee. Yeah. Coffee's good. Yeah. Right. Um, Okay. Sure luck. That's it. We'll let you go. We're going to finish with a song from Autremonde. Uh, Banger. (laughs) Love this song. You like this? They have a song out called Brain Upon Your Pillow. They have a debut album out at the Imaginary Museum on uh, February 28th on Strange Brew Records. And uh, this is one of the fine, fine songs from that album. It's Autremonde with Brain Upon Your Pillow. Uh, Thank you. Good evening. Good night. Good morning. And good day. Love you. Bye. (laughs)